Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk Transformation Podcasts. Today, we're going to be exploring AI and what it means for successful growth and competitive advantage. So we'll explore all the different facets of this and which strategies and things like that as we delve into Garrick's experience. And I'm so excited to welcome Garrick Tate to the show. So Garrick, welcome to the show. Hello, Susie. I'm glad to be here. It's great to have you. Garrick, you're an investor, an AI futurist and strategy consultant, but also a software architect and the founder and CEO of Valhalla. So you're a successful entrepreneur and you founded various companies in software, publishing, outsourcing, but you've also spent a lot of time advising companies on their tech strategy for value creation, particularly AI, which is what we're interested in today, but also sometimes their fear, and I'm putting that in inverted commas for those just listening, their fear of AI. Um, but also the paradox of them wanting to stay in the race. So, you know, if I look at the current world of ChatGPT, OpenAI, AI AI and entrepreneurship, you know, AI in business has never been more vital, has it? And I think you were telling me a bit about your story before we came on the show about how you came into this field. And I found that fascinating as to how you built up this portfolio of skills and approaches that you have today, but also why AI and its link to humans. So can we start there? I would love it for you to walk our listeners through your story and why AI. Yeah, so my my entrepreneurial journey uh, got started when I was 18 years old. I had just graduated college and had co-founded a publishing company with my father and with my brother. And that actually same year, we decided to fly out to uh, to the Philippines because our, our team was based here. And uh, funnily enough, actually, we arrived on the day of the greatest storm to ever make landfall. It was wow. a typhoon Haiyan. So uh, yeah. that was uh, that was a, a wild, wild ride. I remember in the airport and on the ride to the airport, my uh, my dad said, OK, don't tell your mother, but <laughs> <laughs> a special welcome from the universe. <laughs> uh, yes, it was built up our publishing company successfully. And from there, transitioned um, into software and, and mm-hmm. into into AI. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been fascinated with AI for as long as, as I can remember. And we've, we've done work with AI for about six years now. But I'd say that the it all started with a quote from the from the founder of Valve, uh, Gabe Newell. He says mm-hmm. that programming is just teaching the dumbest thing in the world how to be smart. And so uh-huh. if you think about that, like yeah. a computer is the dumbest thing because it's, it's just ones and zeros. So it's just like, I exist, I don't exist. I'm a one, I'm a zero. It's binary. And of course, yeah. exactly. You're using the most explicit language we have, the most binary, least amount of, you know, of, uh, of assumptions Nuance, in there. Yeah. And then you're you're building up intelligence from there, and I think that's that's a big part of the name of the game of of, of what we're up to. And so, started our software company six years ago. Have been uh, uh, building AI uh, tools and advising companies since then. And so that's the long story short. Mm. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because machine learning, which when it first came out, everyone was like, "Whoa, machines can learn, etc." But it comes down to exactly what you're just saying. It only learns what you put in. So yes. you know, it's only as good as the data you, you feed it, and And therefore, the outcome is only as good as whatever, you know, however clean your data is or whatever hypothesis you have that you want it to learn. It's interesting for me now that AI has come so much to the fore. Can I I actually comment on something you said there about about the data? I think there's there's an interesting idea here. Some of your listeners might remember the old experiments they did. I think it was called Deep Dreams. If you look up like AI Deep Dreams, Mm -hmm. you'll see the image recognition system from before go in reverse. We would say like, categorize this bird and then we would ask now you draw a bird what do you think a bird looks like and it would be a, a bird but it would be like from every angle all at the same time in this kind of weird psychedelic 
trip. And I think the way to think about that is that the AI is literally a type of mirror. So if you look in a mirror, like, like a funhouse mirror, you might actually have it reflected back on you in a kind of a weird shape. Mm. These AIs are really impressions and reflections of the data that is fed into them. They're not, they're not anything more or less. Um, now, we can get fancy with how it loops on itself and how it kind of builds on itself, but it's base layer. It's, it's imprinted from the data. And so it can't be more intelligent than the data you feed it. Mm. And in a way that reassures me, and it, it seems quite simple in the way you're explaining it, but I know it's a lot more multi-layered than that in terms of once you've got, that's your starting point, Garrick, what are you asking it to learn? How does it bring out these results if the whole of the internet is feeding it? And, and what are the ethical yes. questions? I mean, which brings us up to the strategy. Um, and I would like to just start with, we will go down into, and unpack some of the sort of practical side of these strategies later, because I think it's really important for people to understand what it is and what it isn't and, and how it actually works. But what are the future trends? If we just start at the top, what are the future trends that you're seeing in AI particularly and more particularly in AI strategies? So, yeah, you know, I think I understand what AI is from a layperson's terms. I'm sure I do. You simplified it very well there and I can ask it to do images and I can ask it to do prompts through chat GPT, et cetera, et cetera. But what does that mean? at a sort of more strategic level for organizations and leaders, whatever size of organization, Garrick, it can be a scale-up, it can be a, an SME, it can be a large organization. What, what are the trends that you're seeing through your consulting and advisory work? Yeah, so it starts off with you know, scientific breakthroughs and then goes from, from that to engineering breakthroughs and from engineering, it goes into either regu regulatory mm. or business mm. and then and then cycles yeah. around that. And so... I think that there's some some value in realizing you know where we're at right now. So right now we are in the middle of an S curve. Actually, the the idea of an exponential curve is a little bit of a misnomer because an exponential curve is just a series of S curves yes. stacked on top of each other. Mm. And uh, right now we're in an S curve from the invention of of a white paper called "Attention is All You Need," which was a white paper that detailed out the concept of the transformer, you know, GPT, mm -hmm. yep, the T yep. stands for transformer. Mm -hmm. We're around that right now. And we're not sure how long that S is going to be before it plateaus. We need a few more major breakthroughs like that breakthrough before we get anywhere close to something like AGI. And so okay. I tell my clients, just, just focus on the here and now and don't try to get fancy or, or, you know, try to get ahead of the curve with things like auto GPT or, or other agent-based technologies. Yeah. Those things might, might be coming, but they're, they're a little bit more of a, of a bigger jump. In the world of business, the place we're in right now is that we're democratizing intelligence. We're, we're doing to intelligence what in the 1920s, people like Thomas Edison and other major moguls had done with electricity. electricity. We're, we're making it widespread. Mm. Before electricity was the ability to do work and you could just plug in and then bam, you have the physical work, you know, a, a hammer became a jackhammer, mm. so on and so forth. Mm. Now we're in that place, exact same place, but with intelligence. And so I think that over the next two to seven years before we fully digest that as a civilization, mm. there's tremendous opportunities as entrepreneurs to be taking advantage of that technology. And I think that um, some of the trends that come along with that, and we can mm. feel free to interrupt me and we can, we can pull on any of these threads. I will do. <laughs> <laughs> I think one thing is that in those places where systems are are well built and where there are clear inputs and outputs, we'll be talking about that more mm. later, there's tremendous opportunity to increase productivity by adding AI. I think another big trend is that um, we're probably in a golden sweet spot right now mm. where 
mass personalization and customizations in, in all forms of marketing is going to become a lot more powerful. And I think civilization will probably adapt to that. And we're going to start increasing our filters for data and start like mm. pushing that out. So, you know, the, the spam filters are going to become so much more powerful. But as we're going to that transformation, the, the personalization of marketing material, I think is going to be a, a big shift for a lot of mm. businesses. Mm. It's, it's quite interesting to hear that that's going on the personalization of marketing and even more layers, let's put it in the spam, you know, and, and the data security part of, of what yeah. uh, technology is bringing to us because we're democratizing access to intelligence. So I'm translating that, Gary, as we're democratizing access to knowledge and information. But I'm worried that that's going to widen the gap between all the knowledge and the information I now have at my disposal and the understanding of how, of, of what I can do with that and how I can do that. And, and for me, I remain a little bit, yeah, I think afraid is the right word, <laughs> of the potential of AI and what it could mean for us as human beings in general, but let's keep it to business, in, in the business workplace. I mean, I see a lot of top-level leaders having FOMO on this subject. Okay, so yes, I work a lot in diversity, inclusion, and, and equity, and it's a bit the same. It's like, we need a DEIB strategy. We need an AI strategy, which leads to something on a piece of paper because they <laughs> need a strategy. And because the information and knowledge is there and readily accessible, and you know these are smart people, so they understand what they're reading, I sometimes worry that it's not necessarily industrializable or operationalizable, let's put it that way, in terms of what they want to put into their business. What do you think of that? What do you see around that? Because the leaders essentially have to take it on and do something with it, don't they, to, to sense making the organization with these strategies? Yeah, I, you know, right now, we're in a period of time that I think is comparable to when the computer system became widely accessible by offices. Yeah. So like if you if you imagined I remember um, that. <laughs> your, yeah, when when you know, all of a sudden everyone had to learn how yeah. to use WordPress, how to use Excel, yeah, yeah. how to use all these tools Giving when before, you know, they, <laughs> and they and they never had. We're in a similar place right now where a lot of new tools are going to be rolled out and it's going to have a similar size effect mm. as as computer access did before. But where people are are at in that curve is, like you said, very much a FOMO place. Mm. They're a place where I have a hammer and therefore the entire world it, looks like a nail. A nail. <laughs> so they're trying to find places to add that solution rather than think from a first principles basis about what is this tool good for and what is it not good for. Mm. And that's that's a place you really need to, to think about, you know, not how can we use this technology to like change everything, but instead, what are the problems I have right now where I wish I had access to more intelligence, which that's a lot, you know, that, that's plenty yeah. of businesses yeah. have that problem. <laughs> yeah. um, there's very few businesses where that question won't give you a very profitable answer, but it has to start with that place. It has to start with, you know, what are the problems I have? And and then from that angle, working on the, on the, the AI strategy. Hmm. So we're back to like the definition of the problem statement before we can even start looking at hypotheses exactly. we might check, what we're trying to innovate or not, what we're trying to keep from the existing, et cetera. So Let's go there. I'm going to invite you later on to tell us how you're using AI because I found that fascinating. Before we go there, um, I'm just going to pick up on that and unpack it a little bit. What is AI good for then? What what can it do and what can it not do? Or what is it less efficient at doing? Because I think that's almost like, you know, you can bring in a design thinking process, you can bring in an innovation process, but if you don't have the right mindset to ask the right questions and work out what you're doing in that process, it it's often not as effective, is it? So let's yeah. start with... And it, I will learn something, I'm sure, Garrick. Let's start with what AI can do 
and what it can do less well. So there's there's two areas that I think AI is particularly great at mm. in its modern incarnation, where we're at right now. The first area is it's a fantastic personal assistant. It's a fantastic intern of a very well-educated, very intelligent, fresh grad that is just is maybe a little bit naive about, about the world, but is very mm. well-read, very well-educated, very mm. hardworking. And I think that it should be used as such. It should be used as a brainstorming partner, as a working buddy. Whenever you need to be creative, whenever you're facing the blank canvas syndrome, whenever you're, mm. you're, you're trying to create assets, it can be a fantastic assistant to, to work through those types of problems with you mm. very helpfully and accelerate you tremendously. Now, of course, where that can go awry is that if the system is not well QA'd, you know, you can't blame it for for bad output. You can't yeah. blame it for for that. You know, our civilization, I think, we're going to a place where we're still putting accountability and yes. responsibility on on the individuals absolutely. using it, which is yeah, good, absolutely. But that that's the first area, mm. and that practically speaking is just getting your organization to use ChatGPT or, or similar tools in their day to day work process. That nothing else has to change. Mm. The second area, which is I think a little more exotic and extreme for a lot of business owners is adding it directly into your your business processes from the top down potentially without any human interaction or with with less human interaction and so those ways of applying it only work so this is the second area where there are very clear inputs and very clear outputs mm-hmm. what i mean by that is that if you for, let's say you have an accountant mm-hmm. sure enough that accountant if they're doing their job really really well and they're advising you one of the inputs, sure, will be the PL statement. You can feed the PL yep. statement into, a, into an AI. But a lot of the inputs the accountant is getting are sub-communicated. They're, they're understanding your anxiety level. They're understanding what your goals are. They're, they're seeing you as a person. They're, they're helping you navigate. They're understanding what, what's working, what's mm. not working. Mm. There's a lot that they're being fed outside of the PL statement. If they're a good accountant, if they're really treating you yeah. professionally, they're going to, to be doing that. And so the question is, if you want to be employing AI in your businesses, you need to be finding those areas where the inputs can be very clearly captured, where there's a lot of input, so that you have a lot of data, mm. but most importantly, where, it's, where it can be clearly captured. And those are the areas if there's clear inputs, clear outputs, and AI can, can do tremendous, tremendous work there. Mm. What is it not good at then? So I would say it's not good at those areas where the, the inputs and outputs are unclear, where the context is lacking. That's how I describe it. But for a lot of people, they'll describe that as like, you know, human intuition or they're, they're, they'll describe that as, as, you know, being able to understand the, the problem, being understand the question, being able to like understand the context. But I think that we dress that in a little bit too artsy fartsy language. It really boils down to just getting the entire context as an input and then having enough data in it. I, I'm Firmly in Team Human, I'm I'm a yes. huge fan of us. Yes. But I think that a lot of what we uh, get a bit highfalutin over is really just our amazing ability to to weave patterns in between disparate areas, and that that means greater context. Because mm. I was going to say, I know that you're a big believer in you know tech is human uh, at the end of the day, yes. and I, AI is is producing so much input. And I must admit, you know, it's it's automating things and doing things that we didn't think it it would do. That we had yes. put to the human side, which is a little oh, yeah. bit a little bit scary, isn't it? Um, oh, yeah. But so it's interesting to hear you say that what's missing is context, and clearly you can give factual context, but in- intuitive, nuanced, more emotional context is still the team human bit, isn't it? So far, I mean, there there might be a situation where it just takes in the video 
uh, mm. calls recordings, and mm. then it's able to to output that. You know, a lot of what we do, we do have potential inputs and outputs, but it needs to also have clear outputs. It needs to know what you're kind of asking. Are you do you does it want, for instance, do you want your AI to come up with a creative solution that's never been suggested before? If it's actually the right solution for you, you know, that's a place where the output might be less clear. It's not just saying mm. you know take the blue or the red car. It's like giving you a, a more nuanced output. So it's challenging, but I think we're making a lot of progress. Like you said, a lot more progress mm. than we thought we were. And it's also getting your brain out of a fear state, isn't it? And into into sort of a, a more creative state of, okay, I'm going to get curious about what's going to come out of, of this, as opposed to, I'm a little bit scared, but I'll put it in anyway. If I take your example around putting it into the top of the process where you, I'm going to use business language, because I think this is the pain point, where they no longer have control <laughs> over yeah. what's coming out of that. So the figures come out and go straight to the top. For example, you don't have any influence on that. You can't. You can't look at them. You can't change them. You can't. And and so things are fully automated. And of course, as humans, we lose a feeling of control over what's going on in our business process and the data we're inputting. But if I come back to your original discussion, if we if we're very disciplined about what we input and very intentional about what we input, then we don't need to be fearful of losing that control for the output. Yeah, the system is still just a reflection of the data that's fed to it. Mm. And it, it's interesting, though, because we're, we're marrying our inputs with the broader context, especially if we're using these open source you know, GPT models. Mm. The, the nice thing about this is it's so cheap, you can just test, test out the system over and over again until it's giving you the types of, of outputs for the inputs that you want. It's remarkably easy to craft mm. these things yeah. in, into the way you want them to. And just come back to fear, though, Garrick, there's quite a lot of fear of sharing yeah. so much information in open source isn't there what's your thoughts around that yes absolutely so something that not a lot of businesses are aware of is that if you're using the open ai api then mm. they do not use that as training data okay so what you can do is you can use pretty much any simple wrapper it's literally the same as ChatGPT, or it's a, it's actually the, a base model underneath mm. it but it's it's essentially Almost indistinguishable. But if you're using the API, then it won't be uh, uh, recording the data for training purposes. Mm. I will retain the data, I believe, either for 30 or 60 days mm. for legal purposes, but then it's supposed to have, have deleted it. Mm. And so a lot of companies I recommend, uh, if you want to be using it in your day-to-day -day life, you can sign up for a, an account on Playground, um, OpenAI Playground, to use it for personal use. Or you can build applications on top of the API, even very simple, simple applications like with uh, integration software using no code tools is 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 possible. Okay, so it's becoming completely democratized, as we said at the beginning. The the yeah. whole yeah, yeah, the access to it. So, what does that mean for practical usage? I mean, we've looked at you know what it does very well in in a business context and what it does less well. I would love for you to share your practical use case, if you're willing, of how you're using AI, and just tell us what you're seeing in terms of practical usage, how it's being embedded into business processes or used in business? Yeah, so the, the place where, let me say that the first place we got started is I'm really proud of how we built a culture of adoption, not just mm. a, you know, the leader's really excited and now you know, everyone you uh, start doing these things. Uh, we, we try to take it from a point of view of getting people excited by AI, creating a story around AI, around how, you know, this is not going to replace humans. This is going to make some humans 10 times more effective and those guys are going to replace you. So, so mm. it's, it's a position to get ahead of the cold curve. With that being said, I think even that's a misnomer because there's a lot of positions. There are some positions where we're going to need less people in, in those industries. But I think a lot of industries that people are worried about 
we want 10 times more. You know, we want 10 times more developers. We would love to have 10 times more graphic artists. Like mm. the supply cur- side of the curve was the constraint, not the demand side. Demand's going to rise and, and mm. increase the supply, mm. at least in many industries. Mm. Not, not wanting to be Pollyanna about it, but I wanted to, to, to give that side point. Anyways, back to back to the story. So we we had um, created kind of a story around this, really got people excited. Different people ended up doing different things. So I'll give three examples mm. of, of what we had done. One was we took our favorite prompts that were just getting the, the, the best results for content marketing, creating creating content for creating marketing strategies. What were the other two? Marketing strategies, content, also um, outreach messaging and there was a fourth as well, but we took all of those and we mm-hmm. built custom instructions and an internal database for everyone to add to, to basically do company-wide prompt engineering uh, with, with clear areas to, to modify mm-hmm. them based on your needs, basically democratize the prompt engineering. And, and that's a very easy, small one that really anybody can do like today, just create a company-wide database. Second area is that we, one of the biggest constraints in our business was our recruitment was how many people we were able to hire. We we were we were hiring so fast, which I th- I think is kind of kind of fun using AI to uh, mm. to get more humans into seats. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we'll um, come back to that. Hold that thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so we used AI in our marketing process because we we had a I have a very good team, but they were only able, able to hire a few people a week, even though we were getting hundreds of applicants because people were basically falling through the funnel. They just couldn't keep up with uh, the number of people in the, in the, in the funnel. Mm. And so building custom AI bots that would integrate with our email, they would see the emails come in, they would read it, they would know the context of what that user had to do because we would keep a, a spreadsheet where we just tracked people's progress to the funnel mm. and they would automatically message them, hey, the next step is to fill out this test or the next step is mm. to X, Y, Z. And right now we're also building um, AI to read their their answers and rate their answers and automatically grade them, uh, which has allowed us to process way more applicants successfully mm. and allow us to hire a lot more uh, qualified people. And that's, that's something that's done with almost no human input after it was set up, after it was set up properly and tested. Mm. So it's like from the top through the process and then yes. you just deal with the output. That was like a top-down approach mm. as opposed to uh, the bottom-up, which would be more like creating a database of prompts where everyone can access it. Mm. And then a third area that we we did is we built a... Actually, this was something that one of my um, top guys did after he I showed off the concept to him. We took all our company policies and we put it into a knowledge base. So what a knowledge base is, it's a it's another technology outside of GPT, outside of Transformers. It does a different thing. Okay. But the, the way you can think of it is it indexes all the data in a way that machines can easily access. So it's, it puts okay. it into a format that's more easily control F. So if you want to like control F dog walking, mm. maybe that phrase doesn't show up, but things around pets or things around dogs or canines will show up. So it's it's able to make it more searchable. And then you just add the context it pulls out and you feed that data to the AI. Mm. So this is how we're able to reduce hallucinations. You know, if you ask, hey, what's the leave day policy? If no data is there, it might make one up. But if if it first finds a real written policy, mm. then it modifies that policy based on the nuances of the question. You get the AI to respond in non-hallucinatory way. So we built that for our internal team, for all of our policies, all of our company documentation so that wow. people could access it through a chat bot. Um, and we've just plugged that into our... our um, we use Discord instead of Slack, but basically right. plugging into our channel. Okay, wow. And so what does that... So there's, there's two points I want to pick up on. One was right at the beginning of this, this part of the conversation where you spoke about a culture of adoption because 
you know, that's that's my baby. I can't ha- I can't do a podcast on AI without discussing. And what does it mean for humans and the culture? But we'll come back to that. But upskilling first. So upskilling is often seen as, or should I say, I hear a lot, AI is going to take this job, so I need to up my upskill myself for something else. And what I'm hearing, mm. and what I wholly believe, but what I'm also hearing from you is upskilling, which is huge, is still about me understanding AI so that I can enhance the job I do and not necessarily upskilling myself for a different job. What, what yes. are your thoughts on that? And what do you see going on in, in the advisory world on that? Because I think it's a common misnomer today that because as AI, I'm going to lose my job. Therefore, one, what do I do? And two, who's going to upskill me to do a completely different job? Yes. So I, I spoke already about how there's a lot of positions right now where we want 10 times more than we have. And we would love mm. to have 10 times. My company specializes in hiring developers because developers are so hard to hire because we need more of them. Yeah. Um, and so, so there's a lot of positions out there where the demand is going to increase as supply increases. Mm. There's definitely some that probably won't. Like I can think of customer support for physical products. Mm. That one will, you know, is probably a position where while humans won't go away, they're still going to be augmented and 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 improved there. There's still we, we probably don't need 10 times or 100 times more. Mm. So those people, you know, it's a case by case basis. Those people I would probably recommend to to be seeing where they can branch out. Yes. Okay. One area where we found that's very hard to add AI is is blue collar work, which is mm, something that's, that's we did not expect. Like we thought blue collar mm. jobs would be the first to for AI to automate. We were dead wrong. It's probably going to be the last. How come that's going to be the last? You're, you're right, of course, but it's very surprising to hear that. It is. So there's there's a concept here that explains it called more vex paradox, which is that those areas that evolution had the longest amount of time to solve for are the areas where we solve things effortlessly. Mm. So that means, you know, knowing how to pick up a cup, knowing how to throw things, knowing how to run. Those are areas where our nervous system is well suited for the the environment. Mm. And those are areas that that turns out are actually way harder than we thought. I think the fundamental idea there is that reality is infinitely complex. Like if, if you look at Godel's last theorem and mm. and and Zeno's paradox, there's there's yeah. definitely some things that say it's like not just really complex, it's, it might actually be infinitely. And yeah. so the way our brain interacts with that is it it you know takes shortcuts. We found ways around that. And we're starting truly from the bottom up. Like like I said, there's no <laughs> it's binary. Yeah. We're starting completely yeah. from the ground up. You know, we're we're finding that these problems are ridiculously hard. Any area where we're interacting with physical matter and the messy messiness of reality is is a place that's gonna mm. be challenging. Mm. Which is weird because we 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 thought the hard part was you know, these abstract thoughts, but the abstract thoughts only work in a vacuum. You know, we, we, we yep. seal these data centers off to like no microbes come in, no, no things. Mm. Like we create this perfectly sterile thing and then we can do magic there, but, but it doesn't work in the real world. So I, I think that's, that's something beautiful about that. No, it doesn't. Um, and, and it's, you're right. That's the way the brain deals with things to take control and, you know, bite-sized chunks. Oh, I can do something with that if it's in this box and in this frame. Oh, I can do something with that if it's in this box and in this frame. But like you say, life and humans are ultimately complex. I was going to yes. say beings, but also systems. So at yeah. the end of the day, complex systems, as their name would suggest, are messy. <laughs> yes. Now, of course, not everyone wants to go in. You know, I'm not saying everyone has to like be be a blue-collar worker or, or a line worker, but but I think it is an important part of, of the overall mm. picture. Another factor on top of that people should consider if they're thinking about upskilling or side skilling mm. is that the way that developers, artists, 
other other white collar workers are going to double down is that they are going to get better at describing and visualizing their art than anyone else. So right now, graphic artists create the best work with tools like Midjourney or Stable Diffusion, you know, graphic AIs, mm. because they know what they're seeing. They, they know how to describe it in a way. They know the genres of exactly what they want to get. So mm. their art is just better than, than the layman's art. Some people th- think that, you know, that, that gap's going to close. I really don't think so. I think this this is how we prompt it. The, the better we get, you can think of it as the better questions we ask, the better answers we're going to get. And yeah. it takes a level of expertise to ask truly great questions. Mm. So I, th- I think that is going to be a big part of, of the picture on top of everything else. I think that's all I'll say about it. Mm. But it is though, isn't it? We come back to asking the right questions and to ask the right questions, you have to have intentionally thought about things and, and thought about the output and the input and, and what you actually want from the process, as opposed to just feeding data into a machine and expecting it to learn what you haven't programmed it to learn, but to just learn indiscriminately, which which is not what happens, is it? But it's interesting if I come back to therefore team human and we can, you know, we can read into what we're saying of the where rel- humans remain relevant. And I think everybody needs to start upskilling themselves on AI in terms of what it is what it could do for your business, for for your job, for, for, for what you do anyway, so that partly for knowledge and partly to take fear out of out of an understanding of what AI may be used for massively yeah. within an organization, which brings me back to a culture of adoption. So, you know, one of the biggest questions I get around culture and agile culture and the leadership that you need there is how can you scale it? So, I would like to unpack a little bit and uh, pick your brain, if you like, on, on these two questions. One, a culture of adoption, adoption for AI. Let's call it a culture of yeah. AI, if you like. What type of culture do you need that's maybe different from culture of organizations today? And then we'll come on to what type of leadership. So I think that the, the two ingredients that are really important. One is, you know, we've talked a lot today about fear. Mm. And I described a little bit about, about how I addressed it. But the, the reason why it's so important to either channel that fear or get mm. rid of it, mm. um, the, the importance of that cannot be overstated because the human mind is 32% less creative yeah. if it's in a panic mode. And the reason yeah. because the blood is literally leaving the neocortex, like we're, yeah. we're, we're a physical being. Yeah. And this is a technology and a transformation that really demands of us to be at our creative, to be at our at our best. And so if you're leaning away, if you're trying to like, like hide away from it, and if your brain's not fully engaged, you know, it, it's going to be just harder. It's not going to be mm. impossible, but it's going to be harder. You're handicapping yourself for no reason versus if you lean in and you're excited or at the very least you have the, the fear driving you from behind mm. um, and you're, you're engaging with it creatively. So I think that creating a, a, a culture of AI is the same as a lot of digital transformations or, or non-digital transformations. Um, it's about leading by example. It's about creating a really compelling vision, you know, telling people what's in it for them. Uh, mm. that, that's the thing that, you know, tunes us in, right? Yeah. So, you know, what does this mean for your for the people in your organization? Why should they be excited? What's a heaven if they do? What's a hell if they don't? Get them, get them excited um, about listening to them, asking them questions, seeing where they're coming from mm. and rewarding progress. Like mm. those are, those are the pillars, pillars of it. Mm. And I think if I come back to your discussion around fear, of course, our brains are are wired for to survive, not to thrive. Let's put it that way. But we need yeah. to thrive in this culture of AI, i.e. constantly access our creative competencies, which is really quite a big ask. 
particularly because there's often quite a lot of behaviors in workplace culture that send you back into what I call reactive. So, you know, sort of threat, reaction, action. But so it's, it's interesting to see if there's a piece there in education for leaders and employees on dealing with their own hopes and fears and actually formalizing them before they can, because as you say, Garrett, sometimes you just have to step over your fear and do it anyway, yeah. <laughs> which is part of, it's one of the the paths to creative, isn't it? You just have to step over it and, and, and see what happens and get a little bit bolder. So if I look at that process, maybe there are some new upskilling blocks in there, but even if we put those four pillars down and we inform people about them and they understand the vision and, you know, they know that there's reward, it's going to be incentivized. They have to go there. How would you scale that? How do you go about scaling that? So, you know, let's take a typical situation. The top team get it. The top team have bought into it. Yeah. And then they need to run it down the rest of the organization. How do you see people scaling a culture of AI? Is it just more of those four pillars or are there other things? I think that there's, there's something I want to get at mm. in, in answering that. You mentioned upskilling again. Mm. You know, the, the biggest upskill here is for, for people to to have is their eyes. I think of it like as like like you know people's third eye mm. because you know we had talked before about you need clear inputs and outputs to give to the, the AI. You know it doesn't interact with the physical world. It's kind of like this blind thing in a box, but you feed it, which means it's not the the gray matter that matters. It's it's the eyes. It's how well you're able to understand the mm. environment, the context, what's not being said, what's not being shown, and finding patterns in bigger sets of data with your life experience with who yes. you are as a person and then feeding that into the AI, crafting its outputs, double checking it. It's that ability to articulate and to be able to see. So using your voice and your and your eyes. Every upskill I can think of for people to to be growing themselves mm. with boils down to one of those two things, your 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 words and your and your eyes. To take that and apply that to your question of how do you get people to be to be engaged. You know, the top team gets it, but how does this trickle down? Mm. You know, I I think that it really is about leading by example. Mm. And it's about recruiting champions. So, you know, that that chat bot I had brought up before. Yeah. I wasn't the one that built that. I didn't even tell tell the guy to build it. But you get people from your team if they're excited by the vision and that you've built a culture that rewards progress, then they're going to want to want to step up. Mm. And so if you can find those individuals that, that kind of have a spark and then ask them to do a research project, it could just be, you know, there's, an, there's some tools out here. Can you give me a report on these tools? Give them responsibilities, reward the progress, communicate with them and, and lead by example. It's, it's the same way you would navigate, I think, any major transformation in your business. It's the same block and tackle. It's important. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's important. I'm just, as you're t- talking, I'm thinking, yeah, so you've got to have decentralized, empowered decision making. Which, yes. of course, is one of the hardest stumbling blocks I come across all the time in organizations, particularly large organizations, where they're shifting models bit by bit from something more command and control, which is hence my reaction to your discussion around putting it in the top, no human intervention, and it comes out the bottom. I was like, oh, that, that sounds difficult for certain for certain cultures. And it's exactly the same. And I think giving people projects and everything and getting excited often gets curtailed by, oh, we're nearly year end. I'm going to take that project back because I can't see any results and you haven't re- been doing my normal reporting. So t- show me what you're doing or I'm not going to give you any more budget. And you automatically fall back into that fear thing of, 
I need to control this process because ultimately I've put my personal accountability on it, even though it's a team discussion. Uh, and it's very interesting to hear how it's so fluid for you. And it is fluid in terms of the process and the rationale behind it. But I think it's very interesting. And this is where I'm really intrigued by AI and what it's going to bring to that process of cultural change. Uh, when you have sort of industrial era, quite traditional cultures that are coexisting with innovation satellites in large organizations, because as we've just said, they sort of tend to box it off so that it works better, which I completely get. But for me, the biggest question is, how do you create, therefore, the culture of adoption to put it back into the larger organization? So, I mean, the empowered decentralized decision making, which is essentially your first discussion around fear in the human brain, and particularly the higher up you get, you know, the more fear you have because you're more visible and you know your eyes if I take your analogy which I love your eyes and your voice are more audible more visible more present so I like the idea of using the analogy of eyes and voice and for me what you were describing is essentially critical systems thinking which is a massive a massive leadership skill and I think it's a leadership skills gap in today's world of holding multiple perspectives seeing critically seeing a whole system understanding where the dots connect or not and where they should connect or not And I think until people are comfortable with that at a leadership level, it's very hard for them to let go of decision-making authority and to let people do what they're good at. So for those of you listening, I'm putting inverted commas around what I'm saying, but, but, but because I do think it's a leadership skill also to let go of what you're good at, which is some of the fear, isn't it? Of AI might be better than me. I might not be necessary if AI does that, et cetera, et cetera. How have you, I'm interested in in how that has affected you as a CEO. Have you had those moments, Garrick, or as you because you've scaled quite quickly? You know, every single time I can find something that AI can do inside the company, um, it frees me up to do the creative thinkings. If it's clear inputs outputs, yeah. that's going to be an area where it's repetitive. Even if there's creative repetitivity, right? Like, yeah, you know, make yeah. this painting. Now, there are some people who are artists who love that part. They love to be an artist and only do that part and be given the, yeah. the artist order and then paint the canvas. But I think even those people over the course of you know seven years, they're going to want to move on to the next thing. They're going to want a different type of adventure. Mm. And I think that if, if this AI does what, what we, we think it can, it's really putting us in a position where we can constantly be putting ourselves at the cutting edge. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of people who are scared of that cutting edge. Of and, and to those people, you know, I, I would say there's going to be a lot of opportunities out there that you, know, you don't have to be on this wagon. There's, there's, there's plenty of, of new jobs that are going to be created, you know, blue-collar workers and, and you know, a variety of other industries are going to be adjusted. But most people I, I talk with, they can identify with that, that job they had. They say they're too long. And AI is a, is a situation where if you've been there too long, it's you know, because it's just very clear inputs outputs, mm. you're gonna get freed up by using it to do that next thing, do the new thing mm. and connect the dots, just what mm. you said. Mm. And I'm just thinking of input outputs. That's a very clear takeaway for me from this conversation. If you were to make sort of final recommendations to leaders listening, thinking, right, I've got we've talked about AI strategy, it was just a discussion, there's something on a piece of paper, and now I need to do something with it. <laughs> What would your what would your call to action or recommendations be for them, Garrick? So I, I would recommend think about the people in your organization. Have you talked with them about mm. what they think about AI? They might surprise you. They might be having a completely different perspective. I know that being on this journey, 
Um, I was shocked that the mm-hmm. people I, uh, who, who I worked with did not see things exactly the same. And it was a very good experience to be talking with, with, with folks. And I, I would say that people listening are both up and down the chain of command mm-hmm. have, have conversations. I would also say that if you don't know where to get started with some of these more exotic usages of AI, you don't need to be a developer. You don't need to be technically proficient to still create things with it. I would recommend if, if that's the area you want to be experimenting with, you know, what, what Susie said about systems thinking and, mm. and maybe even systems implementation, spend an afternoon on ChatGPT Playground. That will give you a good sense of its API without having to write any code. Then look into a tool like Zapier and create an um, integration that, that plugs into it. You know, you can mm. set up a Zapier today that when you receive an email, you send it to ChatGPT and ChatGPT outputs a potential draft. Now, well, it doesn't have uh, the inputs of your life, right? No. Like it doesn't know how to respond to these emails, <clears throat> which is why you still need to be in the process. But you'll you'll start learning these tools in ways that you can, um, you know, without writing a single line of code, start start really freeing yourself up in a, in a level that, that you didn't think was possible. Mm, that's really interesting. And therefore, getting involved experientially. And I think also you're stepping into a little bit of your fear, aren't you, when you do that? Because you, yes. you're sort of trying out things like, oh, does it need me? Does it not? What's going to come out? But... Okay, great. I'm going to leave on. You're looking stupid. Most, I think so many people are just, even if no one's watching, they're just terrified of being incompetent, even for a moment. And this is, you know, if that that sounds like you and you're listening to this, you know, take this as as a challenge. You know, we all know you only get better going through that that discomfort, you know, challenge yourself and, and see if you can get over the hump. Yeah, get creative about stepping over your fear. I like that. I'm going to leave our listeners with that. Before before we go, Garrett, can I ask you a question? What is the most transformative thing you've ever done with AI? The most transformative thing I've ever done with AI? The way I'm interpreting that is how have I used AI that has like touched in most people's lives? Yeah. And also like, like changed my own life. Mm. You know, it's really hard to pin it down to just one thing because uh, so, so much of what, what I do with it is in the communications mm. and talking with people about it in, in like high level strategy. Um, if I had to boil it down to just one thing, I'm really proud of the work we did with our recruitment department to be able mm. to um, give a lot more people opportunities than they wouldn't otherwise have had and to um, also take a, de- uh, a department in my company that was just stressed out and they were having to work overtime and, and to be able to mm. um, help them relax a little bit more and to give a lot more people opportunity. I'm, I'm very proud of the work we've done there and how many uh, lives it's improved with, with the team members. Mm. It's great. And it's a great example of how you can scale impact through, yes. it's not simple technology, but it's it's applying it simply, isn't it? Yes. Mm. Okay, super. Thank you. Garrick, thank you for coming and sharing your experience, your thoughts, uh, your know-how on AI and other things. Where can people find out more about you and what you do? Yeah, thank you so much. People can find me on on LinkedIn if you're looking to increase your business valuation. We do consulting and, and breakdown of people's businesses, finding bottlenecks and areas to to add in AI and, and improvements. And if you're looking to build a product using AI, I also have a company, Valhalla.team. You can check out our website. And we assemble teams of developers, designers, and, and other folks to actually build applications from, from the ground up. And right now, going into the, the next year, a big focus for us is to be building strategic partnerships uh, in order to build new new ventures to exit from in two or three years. And so if, uh, if you're looking for a tech partner or things like that, then let's uh, definitely have a conversation. You can just find me on LinkedIn, connect there, say that Susie sent you and we'll <laughs> we'll hit it off. Excellent. That, that sounds fascinating. I'm going to follow that closely. Thanks, Garrick. Thanks for a great conversation. Thank you so much. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode and the insights and learning it gave you. And it's bye from me for now and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk Transformation. Transformation.